Hare Krishna. So, Srila Prabhupada is not only a very exalted spiritual personality, but Srila Prabhupada actually is a very special spiritual personality uh, who had, you can see uh, how Krishna actually sent him to fulfill his prediction appearing as Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu he made a very wonderful prediction that this Krishna Consciousness Movement would spread in every town and village all over the world. <clears throat> in Christianity there is a very popular expression the chosen one. Jesus is considered to be the chosen one by God. And in that context also we can see how Srila Prabhupada is the chosen one by the Supreme Personality of Godhead to accomplish something that he himself did not accomplish. In a way, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the Mahavadhanya the most munificent appearance of the Lord. Badana means magnanimous, munificent. So the Supreme Personality of Godhead is extremely munificent. And, but when he came as Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, he became even more magnanimous. Because he gave something that the Supreme Personality of Godhead had never given before. This understanding goes like this, that Krishna's Vrindavan pastimes are very special pastimes. Krishna's Vrindavan pastimes are special because in that pastimes Krishna allows his devotees to develop three very special relationships with him. Their friendship, parental and conjugal. Generally these three relationships are not possible to develop with the Supreme Personality of Godhead. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is the Supreme Lord, the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Uh, Parama Ishvara, the Supreme Controller, the Supreme Proprietor, is the Supreme Lord and Master. Uh, 
So if he is the Lord and Master, then what is the relationship with him and the living entities? The living entities are his eternal servant. Jivel Sarupai, Krishna Nektadas. The Jivas, the living entities, are Krishna's eternal servant. So the natural relationship with the Supreme Personality of Godhead is in servitorship. Servant. Tasya. So in the spiritual sky, <coughs> the relationship with the Supreme Personality of Godhead is in Dasyaras. Either Shanta or Dasya. Shanta means neutrality. And that. But neutrality is neutral. It is neither this way nor that way. Neither love nor hatred. But a loving relationship actually begins with servitorship. The way the servant loves the master. So generally, the living entity's relationship with the Supreme Personality of Godhead is in servitorship. In the spiritual sky, in Vaikuntha, <clears throat> the relationship with the Lord is in servitorship. <clears throat> but these three other relationships, friendship, parental and conjugal with the Supreme Personality of Godhead is available. But they are available only in Vrindavan. But generally Krishna doesn't reveal his Brajadina. This is a relationship that the Lord does not generally allow living entities to have it. It's a very special relationship. That is the specialty of Braj. But in a day of Brahma, Krishna reveals that pastimes. Once in a day of Brahma, Krishna reveals his Brajalina. Otherwise, all the incarnations are displaying Vaikuntha Different aspects of Vaikuntha. Nishingha, Varaha, Kurma, Bhavana. They all are displaying Vaikuntha aspects. But once in a day of Brahma, Krishna comes and reveals his Brajalila. This Krishna is the supreme, supreme personality of God. And this Krishna is not an incarnation. The others are incarnations. Ete Chamsha Kalapunsha, Krishna's too. And these different incarnations that have been described in Srimad Bhagavatam and then pointed out, in this way there are innumerable incarnations of the Lord. The avatars, the incarnations are asankhya, countless. 
countless. And this word countless has been described like even the oceans of a wave, even the waves of an ocean can be counted. Even the sand particles of this planet can be counted. But the incarnations of the Lord cannot be counted. So that is how innumerable the Lord's incarnations are. But all these incarnations are His parts and parts of the parts. But Krishna is the original Supreme Personality. He is not an avatar. He is the avatari. He is not an incarnation, but he is the origin of all incarnations. And this original Supreme Personality of Godhead eternally resides in Vrindavan. Shilaji Goswami specifically pointed out that this Supreme Personality of Godhead never takes a step outside of Vrindavan. Vrindavanam Paritajya Kutra Kadapi Nagachati. Living Vrindavan, he never goes anywhere. He doesn't even take a step outside of Vrindavan. He always stays in Vrindavan. That is the Supreme Personality. The son of Nanda Maharaj. Aradha Bhagavan, Brajeshatanai, Staddhamo Vrindavan. The Supreme Supreme Personality of Godhead is Krishna, the son of Nanda Maharaj. By saying that, he is actually indicating that this Krishna is not the son of Vasudeva and Devaki. He is not Vasudeva Krishna. He is not Devaki Nandan Krishna. He is Brajendra Nandan Krishna. And that also has been confirmed that Krishna Ayam Jadu Sambhuta. Krishna Anya Jadu Sambhuta. Jadu Sambhuta, the one who appeared in the Jadu dynasty is another Krishna. <laughs> These are all mind-blowing informations. But this is what has been presented by Goswami. And that is why this inform- these informations are so, so important. And because it is very, very confidential. It's rather kept very confidential because ordinary people don't understand. People don't even have an understanding of who God is. In Christianity, they don't know the difference between the God and between God and the Son of God, and then they sum it up. Father and son is one. <laughs> that's all. That's simply because they don't have any information, any understanding. 
and actually with that with that difference Christianity became early Christianity became divided the Roman Catholics they said Jesus is God whereas the Orthodox Christians the Greek Orthodox they said no he's the son of God so on that concept they became divided that was the first division actually so but here we get such clear understanding of who God is what's the difference between God and his incarnations and that also there are six different types of incarnations the incarnations are there are six different types so clear understanding how many of you know that there are six different types of incarnations of the lord raise your hand those who those who don't know please raise your hand okay those who want to know please raise your hand okay the six different incarnations are one is purushavatar in relation to the creation material creation the lord manifests himself as three vishnus karana dakshai vishnu or mahavishnu then garbha dakshai vishnu and then shira dakshai vishnu these are the three different vishnu incarnations who are known as purushavatars then gunavatars there are three modes of material nature and they are being controlled by three incarnations of the lord as vishnu brahma and shiva they are gunavatars as vishnu he is controlling the mode of goodness as brahma he is controlling the mode of passion and as lord shiva he is controlling the mode of ignorance then there are four jugas and in four jugas the lord appeared as four jugavatars satyajuga tretajuga dwapar juga and kalijuga in this four jugas he appears as four jugavatars then there are uh, 14 manus and during the reigns of each manu the lord appears as manvantar manvantara but like this is the uh, this is the vaivashyata manvantara and the manvantara avatar in this manvantara is vamandev then leela avatar the lord performs various types of pastimes the leelas and uh, he is known as leela avatar like lord ramchandra varaha dev nishinga dev kurma dev ram nishinga varaha kurma dev lila avatars and then sometimes the lord empowers a living entity and that empowered incarnations are called shaktavesh so these are the six different types of incarnations of the lord six different categories 
incarnations. And there are innumerable incarnations. Like how innumerable you can see, like how it's countless. Because as Kshirodokshai Vishnu, the Lord is the super soul of all living entities. Now how many living entities are there? So we can see that it's countless, is it Even in the heart of a microbe, the Lord is there. And this is Achinta, he is one, Paramatma is one, but he is there in everyone's heart. Inconceivable. Although he is one, he is manifesting himself in the heart of everyone. Although he is one, he is manifesting himself in so many incarnations. It is not that he is different, he is one person. So, so Krishna, Krishna stu Bhagavan Swayam. Krishna is the original Supreme Personality of God. These are his Ete Chamsha Kalamusha. These are his amsa and kala, amsa's amsa, parts of the parts, but Krishna's too, Bhagavan, Swayam. Krishna is Swayam So that Swayam Bhagavan Krishna comes only once in a day of Brahma. Just once in a day of Brahma, he comes. That also has been specifically described as I mentioned, in a day of Brahma, there were 14 Manus. What is the length of Brahma's day? Uh, 1000 Chatur Yugas. What is 1000? What is a Chatur Yuga? Uh, Sattva Yuga, Treta Yuga, Dwapar Yuga, Kali Yuga put together is a Chatur Yuga or a Dibba Yuga. And 1000 such Chatur Yugas make a day of Brahma. And in a day of Brahma, there are 14 Manus. Manus are like the foreman of a shift. <laughs> so how many of you know about the operation of a factory? How does a factory work? In shifts, yeah? Generally they have three or four shifts. Like three shifts, huh? 6 to 2, 2 to 10, 10 to 6. Uh, when the factory is run 24 hours, generally they have these uh, three shifts. So in a, each shift, there is a foreman. Uh, the foreman actually brings the I mean, team with him. He is the leader of the team. Like say, a factory has few machines, huh? like lead machine, uh, milling machine, uh, drilling machine. So different workers are working in different machines. Uh, and so the head of that group is called foreman. Uh, so in a way Manu is like a foreman. 
So in his team, there are demigods, Indra, Chandra, Varun. There are sages like Vashishta, Vishamitra, Saptarshis, seven sages. There are seven, there are different Gandharvas, there are different Kinnaras. So they all have their group. Each Manu has his group. And when he comes, he comes with his group and when he goes, he lives with his group. Shift is over. Now, the next shift is starting. So another Manu will come with his team. For example, in this Manvantar, Vaivarshita Manvantar, as I mentioned, Vamandev is the incarnation of the Lord. In Purandar is Indra. But next Manvantar, Bali Maharaj will become Indra. In this way there will be different demigods, you know, Sam, God, Moon God, Agni Dev, Vishakarma and so forth. So this is called in a Manu's reign or Manvantar, period of Manu's reign. And in each of Manvantar, there is, there are 14 Manvantars, 14 Manus come and the reign of each Manu is 1000 by 14 is how much? 71 Chaturjuga. So each Manu's reign is 71 Chaturjuga. Now out of the 14 Manus, the 7th Manu is Vaivarshata Manu. That is the son of Sun God, Vivashwan. Do you remember Imam Vivashwati Jogam Pratavan Ahamapayam? Vivashan Manave Praho. Vivashan spoke to Manu. So who is that Manu? Vivashan's son, Vaivashatama. And Vaivashata Manu's 28th Chatur Yugas, Dwapar Yuga, the original Supreme Personality of Godhead, Krishna comes. And you'll be happy to know that we are in Vaivashata Manavantar. This is the 28th Chatur Yuga. At the end of Dwapar Yuga, Krishna came. Who is that Krishna? This Krishna is Swayam Bhagavan. The son of Nanda Maharaj. And he revealed his Brajalila. So after revealing his Brajalila, Krishna considered, I reveal my Brajalila, but how will anyone ever enter into this Brajalila pastime? How will anybody ever understand the glory of Brajalila and ever enter into Brajalila? Krishna gives all kinds of reasons that it is not possible to enter into Brajalila for a living entity. So Krishna considered, I reveal my Brajalila to the earth planet. But if nobody else can enter into Brajalila, then what's the use of revealing this pastime? I reveal my pastimes, but if nobody can enter into that pastime, then what's the use? And the specialty of this pastime is 
as I mentioned earlier, friendship, parental and conjugal. These three relationships which are not otherwise available for a living entity. Therefore, in order to enable the living entities to enter into their pastimes, Krishna came as a devotee. Sri Krishna Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And Mahaprabhu actually opened the gate, so to say, of Vrindavan. Vrindavan's gate is completely sealed. No entry. Generally no entry. Those who are there only, they are there and some very, very special living entities get a chance to enter into Brajalila or Vrindavan. Who are those living entities? You want to know who had access to Vrindavan? 108 exponents of the Upanishads. Those who mastered the 108 Upanishads. That means they became the personified Upanishads. They had access. The sages of Dandakaranya who made Lord Ramchandra and Seeing Lord Ramchandra, they developed such attraction for them, for him, that they wanted to have an intense loving relationship with him. They got entry in Brajana. In this way, some very rare individuals, so you can see how qualified one had to be to enter into Brajana. So much so that uh, Lord Brahma didn't have entry. Can you imagine Brahma didn't get entry to Vrindavan? Even though the Lord revealed his pastime. He got an entry, but after a lot of endeavor, a lot of trouble. Lord Shiva also couldn't enter into Lakshmi Devi couldn't enter into Vrindavan. Can you imagine? So that is how this Braja Leela is. As I said, a relationship with the Supreme Personality of Godhead in such intense love, like that of friendship, parental, But Krishna felt that was the what is the use of them revealing this pastime. So I have to make some arrangement for this so that the living entities can enter. And he came therefore as Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And appearing as Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, then what did he do? He opened the gate of Vrindavan wide and he started to invite everybody, come, get in. 
he started to tell that come and get in. But Nitananda Prabhu went and started to drag everybody by holding their hands, come in. <laughs> so this is how uh, Krishna bestowed his mercy as Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That's why Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Mahavadanya, the most munificent appearance of the Lord. But what did Chaitanya Mahaprabhu do? Chaitanya Mahaprabhu distributed Krishna consciousness only in India. In a way we can say that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu opened the gate of Vrindavan only for the Indians. He did it only for the Indians. But then he felt bad that I came to distribute this mercy but I did it only in India. Then he said, okay, fine. Uh, I will make it available to everyone all over the world. He just made that prediction that I will. But then soon after Chaitanya Mahaprabhu left this planet, then the door of Vrindavan got shut again. But he made a prediction that he'll make it available to the people of all over the world. So remembering that promise, he sent Bhakti Vinod Thakur. Okay, make arrangements to open the gate again. So the gate was already rusted. There was all kind of weeds. <laughs> and, uh, so Bhaktivinoda Thakur came and cleaned up the rust, cleaned the weeds and all the bushes and things that grew around the gate, it was already covered. He cleaned it up. And then Bhakti Siddhanta Sarishati Thakur again opened it. But then it was opened only again for Indians. Those who are in India could take advantage of that. But then came Srila Prabhupada. And he came out to the Western world and he started to invite everybody. Come. And Srila Prabhupada made access to Vrindavan for everyone, available to everyone. Make Vrindavan available to everyone. He gave access to everyone all over the world. And Srila Prabhupada built a beautiful road where people can just so easily have access to Vrindavan. He not only built a road, that road also has an automatic conveyor belt. <laughs> All you have to do is just come onto the road and the road will carry you. <laughs> just as the conveyor belt does, huh? 
it just moves on its own. Uh, taking you uh, to the spiritual sky. So that is the inconceivable good fortune that Srila Prabhupada has created for the living entities of this age. More we read uh, the glory of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu through scriptures like Chaitanya Charitamrita, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu this understanding becomes more and more clear. People cannot actually imagine the good fortune that Srila Prabhupada has created for all of us. Can't even imagine. So this is how <clears throat> and this path, the road that I was talking about, uh, road with a continuous conveyor belt uh, is Iskam. Another analogy that has been drawn or painted in Srimad Bhagavatam, 12th Canto, is uh, the painting displays the ocean of material nature, a vast ocean of material nature, full of dangerous aquatics. Sharks, piranhas, all kinds of terrible crocodiles. This ocean of material nature is filled with such terrible aquatics. But in that ocean, there is a ship. On the mast of the ship, there is a flag. The flag is bearing the uh, name Iskam. <laughs> and the ship is moving with the wind of Hare Krishna Mahamantra. And on the deck of the ship, so many devotees chanting and dancing. And Srila Prabhupada is steering that ship. The captain of the ship so see how safe and smooth it has become for all of us to go to the spiritual world across the dangerous ocean of material nature. All we have to do is just get into that ship. And what is that ship? Is content. Just get in. And it's not that there is only one ship. There is, there are so many ships continuously going up, one after another ship, sailing across, uh, taking the living entities. Uh, it is not that when the ship left the shore, then there, there is no chance of getting into it. Okay, one ship, has, I mean the ship is so transcendental, so inconceivable in its nature, that although it is sailing across the material nature, it's also on the port, on the, in the harbor for us to get in. Anybody can get into the ship anytime he wants. 
And only thing that he has to do is that he has to just stay on board. Just stay on board. And in course of time, it will take us across the ocean of material nature back to where? Huh? Okay. <laughs> Vrindavan, especially. If the ship stops in Vaikuntha, will you get out and get down? Huh? No. No, this is not where I want to go. So even Vaikuntha becomes insignificant. This is how wonderful the gift is. We won't settle for anything less than Vrindavan. And when we are on the board, on the ship, all we have to do is chant and dance and <laughs> be happy. The first class arrangement is there already in the ship. It is not a passenger, it is not a cargo ship like Jaladuta that Prabhupada took to go to America. <clears throat> it is a seven-star ocean liner. <laughs> So this is the good fortune that Srila Prabhupada has created for us and all we have to do <coughs> is just stay on board. Now let us consider what Srila Prabhupada had done to create this good fortune for us. It all started in 1922. Prabhupada was a 26-year-old young man, married with a son and <clears throat> he had a very nice job. Uh, at that young age, he was the manager of a pharmaceutical company in Calcutta. And he comes across Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati He didn't want to meet him. His friend, Naren Malik, told him that there is a sadhu, a very nice sadhu has come. So come, I will take you to him. Prabhupada's response was, I'm not interested in the sadhus. I know what these sadhus are like. <laughs> in my house, my father invites them quite often and I see all they want is just to eat and sleep. <laughs> but <laughs> he said, no, 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 this sadhu is different. Uh, he's not like that. He's very learned, very educated. And <clears throat> so, Narayan Malik's persuasion made Prabhupada to go and meet this sadhu. Very handsome, tall, very aristocratic gentleman. As soon as Prabhupada arrived in that hall where he was giving darshan, hall means room where 
who is giving darshan. He, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur just saw him and immediately told him, young man like you should take up this mission of spreading Krishna consciousness to the Western world through English language. <clears throat> Prabhupada actually didn't accept that suggestion at first. He said the message of India will not be taken by anyone seriously unless India becomes free. India at that time was under British rule. So he's he kind of put it that way that unless India becomes free, the outside world is not going to take the message of India seriously. But Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasheta could told him, no. This message is not of this world. This message is from another world. And it is not dependent upon India's uh, independence or dependence. It is not relative to any political or geographical consideration. This is the message for, from the spiritual world for the benefit of all humans. Prabhupada was stumped. At that time, Prabhupada was involved with Gandhi's non-violent movement to free India. But just at one meeting, <clears throat> Prabhupada was completely sold out. So much so that when he went to his office, he submitted his resignation. Dr. Bose, Dr. Kartik Bose, who was Prabhupada's father's friend, uh, he was shocked to hear, to see that he submitted his resignation. So he called him and asked him, why do you want to resign all of a sudden? And Prabhupada said that he met a very interesting spiritual personality and he gave him an assignment to spread the message of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu to the outside world through English language. So Dr. Bosch reasoned, okay, fine, then, but why do you have to resign from your job? Like you can do it while you're also doing your job, you can do whatever you need to do, why do you have to resign? But Prabhupada said, look, if I <coughs> Well, if I work, when I work for you and you're paying me, my time is sold out to you. It's not my time anymore. This 9 to 5 or 10 to 5, whatever it was at that time, is just sold out to you. And you can't do anything. My time is actually sold out to you. And because I'm your employee, 
Dr. Bose told him, no, you are not my employee. You are like my family member. Like just as a family member, the son or nephew or a brother joins the family business, he is not an employee. Similarly, you are not an employee. But Prabhupada did not, did not accept that or was not convinced with that argument. Then Kartik was asked, how will you maintain yourself? You have a family, you have a son, you have a wife to take care. Prabhupada said, I'll start my own business. Then my time will be my time. Then Dr. Bose actually told him that, okay, then you take the sole selling agency of my products for North India. The Prabhupada accepted that proposal. He became the agent of Dr. Bose's products, pharmaceutical products from North India. And that is why Prabhupada actually went to Allahabad. From Calcutta, Prabhupada went to Allahabad, settled down there to take care of the business. <clears throat> and then Prabhupada started the business But his heart was not in his business. His heart was in spreading Krishna consciousness. That's why his business was not very successful. People cheated him, took advantage of his simplicity and honesty. Actually, Prabhupada had to go through a lot of difficulties at that time. Once Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri Thakura asked him, how is your business? And Prabhupada said, not very well. And Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri Thakura said, that is because you do not love money enough. To be successful in business, you have to love money. And that was true actually. Prabhupada was not interested so much in making money. And, but uh, Prabhupada's heart was always in uh, spreading Krishna consciousness. And then ultimately, as you all know, uh, Prabhupada's, uh, Prabhupada left home over a very simple issue. His wife would not give up tea. So Prabhupada at one point made a proposal. Either tea or me. <laughs> she didn't realize probably how serious Prabhupada was and she actually said tea. And next morning, Prabhupada left the house. Prabhupada's neighbors at that time, one of them mentioned that it was one fine morning, Abhay Babu was gone, 
nobody saw him. All of a sudden, one day he was just gone, left home and went away. <clears throat> and and that was a difficult, very difficult time for Srila Prabhupada. He left home and he was trying to work with his god-brothers. Goryamat was already, uh, already uh, disintegrated, already fallen apart. And he was trying to uh, work under different god-brothers. And there are lots of difficulties like Prabhupada became the editor of a magazine of one of his brothers. And Prabhupada became so popular because of his writing, they started to see him as a threat and politely asked him to leave. And Prabhupada's life actually is so, so eventful, so to say. Then also, <clears throat> he took, ultimately took sannas from one of his god-brothers and then went out to preach to Agra. It was from Mathura. Agra is not very far. Prabhupada went to preach in Agra and somebody became uh, interested to take initiation from Prabhupada. And Prabhupada said, fine, give me initiation. But those Brahmacharis and others who were there, they told him, no, you can't give initiation. The Guru Maharaj gives initiation. Next morning Prabhupada left from there. And Prabhupada, I heard, told his godbrother who gave him initiation, he told him, you got me married, but don't want me to have children. <laughs> Actually, when you go to Prabhupada's life, I mean, it's so painful, you know, like, to see what Shri Prabhupada had gone through. <clears throat> then, Prabhupada goes to Jhansi and he starts an institution. But it was getting some response that people are becoming attracted to his preaching. And but the house that Prabhupada had, he had a bungalow, uh, old bungalow. And <clears throat> the governor's wife wanted to start her 
Mahila Samiti, the women's society there. And she evicted Prabhupada from there just because she wanted to have that place. Some people told Prabhupada that she can't do that, you can go to court. No, Prabhupada said, I haven't come here to fight in court. The Prabhupada left that place. In this way you can see so many obstacles, so many hardships. But Prabhupada was fixed on his conviction. He was writing. And actually Prabhupada's writing was so brilliant. Like those days, uh, Prabhupada was in 44, in 1944, Prabhupada started to bring the back to Godhead. Just simple uh, four-page newspaper. But the articles, actually all the articles were written by Prabhupada himself. And so brilliant the writings. Prabhupada's Bengali writings, uh, I and discovered some of his writings from 1948 in the magazine of uh, one of the Goryomarts called Goryo Patrika. And I collected them uh, and printed into a book. And later on that was translated into English. So brilliant his writing. That shows Prabhupada was a special personality from the very beginning. Only thing is that his god brothers couldn't recognize him, couldn't recognize his greatness. Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasita could recognize his greatness naturally. That's why at the first meeting he told me. Spread Krishna consciousness through English language. The Prabhupada didn't have many encounters, many, many meetings with his spiritual master. He met, he met him only in three or four occasions. But all those meetings were very eventful. In one of his meetings, he told him, he expressed his discontentment saying that he wishes, <clears throat> rather he wished that he could sell the marbles of the temple that he built in Calcutta because the leading disciples started to fight among themselves about who is going to occupy which room. Big marble temple was built, and obviously there was no living facilities. But they were fighting over who is going to stay in which room. And that's, he expressed his disc frustration over the situation. And he told Prabhupada that I wish I could sell the marbles of those, that temple and print books. And he also told Prabhupada that you print books. Whenever you get money, 
print books. When in Bombay temple they needed a president to run the temple, they proposed that Bhakti that Srila Prabhupada could become the temple president. But Bhakti Siddhanta Sharshi never said no. Keep him out of this. Because he didn't want Prabhupada to get involved in that politics at that time. He wanted Prabhupada to be away from everything so that in due course of time he can fulfill his mission. And we see that Prabhupada was the only one who could actually understand Srila Prabhupada's Srila Bhakti Siddhanta heart. He understood the importance of collective management through GBC. He understood the importance of an institution. Like although practically Goryamad everybody knows that that was what Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasri wanted to manage the institution through a collective management through GDC. But even now, they don't form a GBC to manage the institution. They appoint an Acharya. They appoint a successor. Okay, for a small temple it is alright. One successor to run the temple. But when it comes to the international uh, movement of spreading Krishna consciousness, then a different arrangements is necessary. And that's what Srila Prabhupada had done. And then we see that finally, after a lot of struggles, Srila Prabhupada goes to the United States of America. And <clears throat> All of you know through uh, what kind of hardship and difficulty Srila Prabhupada actually went there and how he struggled for one year through the cold of winter of New York City. New York City gets very, very cold in winter. A 70-year-old man practically no place to stay, goes there. Mind you, Prabhupada went to America in 17 September. Uh, practically in the middle of autumn. And then the way. Uh, he was in New York in the middle of the winter. Uh, how severe it can be, I, I can't even imagine be living in New York without proper heating system, without proper uh, hot water to take shower. Like Prabhupada didn't have any proper place to stay. Eventually, he rented a place, and, but in that place, uh, his things got, his typewriter, tape recorder got stolen. So, he suspected that the janitor actually stole it. And, but he couldn't say anything, so he left that place. He shared a room with one 
young boy who became affected by his teachings, by his preaching. But uh, he went back to LSD again. Like those days in America, most of these youth used to take heavy intoxicants, especially LSD. But this boy gave up his habit of LSD and Prabhupada actually wrote to one of his friends, one of his godbrothers in India, that about this boy <coughs> and in his hoped, he expected that he would become his first American disciple. But unfortunately he went back to LSD again and he became mad and one day he chased Srila Prabhupada. There was some disagreement. He used to keep the soap on the floor at the bathroom. And Prabhupada told him, don't do that because the slope becomes, the floor becomes slippery because of the soap and one may fall. And he didn't like that. It's simple things like that. And he shouted at Prabhupada. You don't give orders to me all the time. And one day it came to such a serious situation that he tried to hit Srila Prabhupada. And Prabhupada ran down the stairs, came onto the road. Only place that he had, uh, now he has been driven out of that place. Now a few hand, few young Americans, Prabhupada, uh, got to know by that time. And one of them was one young boy called Michael Grant, who is our Mukunda Maharaj. So he called, uh, he phoned Michael Grant and told him, So Michael Grant could not accommodate Prabhupada at his place at that time, but he arranged for Prabhupada to stay in one of his friend's place. And that friend's place also was, I mean if we reflect on that, uh, like those days in America most of these young boys and girls used to live together. So it was not that his friend was alone, his friend was with his girlfriend. But they probably had one room that Prabhupada could stay there for a while. And on top of that they had a cat. <laughs> so how difficult it must have been for Srila To live with a young boy and girl, living like husband and wife without getting married with a cat. But Prabhupada had to accept that situation. But in the meantime, uh, Mukunda Maharaj got a place for Srila Prabhupada. And he paid for the, he and some of his friends got together and put some, got some money together and paid, paid for the first month's rent of that place. And that is our 
26 Second Avenue. And behind that storefront, across a small patch of courtyard, there was a, another house. And on the first floor, he got an apartment for Shilapur. Just a small one-bedroom apartment. And there Prabhupada started to preach. At least now he got a place which, which he can claim to be his. And that was the first center of his school in America. That shop used to be a curio shop.
and then serve them. And they love Prabhupada's cooking. Prabhupada was an amazing cook. I mean, <coughs> food, we heard the expression, food tastes like nectar. And you could really feel that when you tasted Prabhupada's cooking, that how it's really like nectar. And that is what actually attracted the youth of America. And then some of them started to learn to cook also. But the early days, Prabhupada uh, used to buy the boga, uh, prepare the boga, uh, cook them, offer them, serve them. And after eating, they all used to leave. And Prabhupada alone had to wash the pots, clean the pots. Now the kind of difficulties that Prabhupada tolerated for them is inconceivable. Like, and then those devotees started to stay there. Like some of the boys didn't have any place to stay. So they started to stay in the 26-second the storefront. Then Jadurani, the first girl to move into that ashram, she insisted that she would stay there. She didn't want to go back to her father's house. Prabhupada said, no, this is not a place for a single girl to live. But she would not listen. And then finally Prabhupada had to allow her to stay in the same apartment where he was staying, just one bedroom apartment. There was another room adjacent and she was staying there. So this is how the women ashram started. And then in San Francisco, of course, there were three couples. <clears throat> and there also, so many interesting things started to happen. Like, one day, Malati Mataji, she actually stole a figure from a curio shop. She thought that, oh, Swamiji will probably like it because that looked so attractive. So she brought it to Prabhupada and gave it. Seeing that Prabhupada immediately got up and offered obeisances, she was shocked. Why Swamiji is offering obeisances? Then Prabhupada asked, is there any other figures like that? He said, yeah, there was two others. One was white and the other was yellow. This one was black. Guess who that was? <laughs> Jagannath. See how Jagannath came to his Prabhupada. On his own accord. <laughs> she didn't have money to buy it, she stole it. Of course, she didn't tell Prabhupada. I didn't used to tell that, but she, she started to tell me. I stole it. 
<laughs> I don't know how she got the heart <laughs> But she got it. And this is her Jagannath, Baladev and Subhadra, appearing in this car. Now, Shamshinder Prabhu knew how to do sculpting or work on wood. So when Prabhupada heard that, Prabhupada asked, can you make this into a bigger figure? He said yes. And <clears throat> so he got the big pages of Jagannath out of Jagannath Baladeva and Subhadra. And those were the first deities to be installed in his home, in San Francisco. So that is how they started the morning program and worship of the deities. One afternoon, Srila Prabhupada came to the temple and he found that Jagannath is missing. So Prabhupada was quite happy shocked to see that right? and he was told that the devotees have taken Jagannath to Golden <laughs> So Prabhupada went to Golden Park and he saw that the devotees are chanting and dancing around Jagannath <laughs> and many other young boys and girls also joined them and they were chanting and dancing. So Prabhupada told them that you can't take the Lord out of the temple like that whimsically. But there is a way out. There is a way to take him out. And then Prabhupada told about the chanting festival. The Jagannath goes out on a specific day on a chanting festival. So they decided to have a chariot. And the chariot was uh, flatbed truck, just a flatbed and they decorated the flatbed of the truck and they put Jagannath, Baladeva and Subhadra and have a Rathayatra festival in Golden Gate Park. The first Rathayatra festival. And that festival became so popular that the mayor of the city announced that day as a public holiday. <laughs> and, and there so many uh, uh, brilliant devotees actually joined. Tamar Krishna Maharaj, Vishnu Jan Maharaj. They all became attracted Ramesha Swami also I think. I'm forgetting the names of the other devotees. Anyway, so then San Francisco and then devotees started to go to different other places to start ISKCON centers. They went to <coughs> the West Coast. They started to, from the West Coast they started to go different other cities, Denver, Detroit, Toronto, Montreal, Ann Arbor, Michigan, Boston. So one after another temple started to come up. 
And these young Americans, they started to go to different other places to start something. At the time, Robert was in Boston. No, I'm sorry, Montreal. And Mukunda Maharaj, Shamshuddha Prabhu, Gurudas Prabhu, and their wives, they came to see Shukra. And they told Prabhupada about their brilliant idea to go to UK, go to London. Prabhupada encouraged them, okay, fine. If you want to go for Krishna's sake, go and do it. So they go to they wanted to go to London, but they didn't have enough money to fly to London. The flights to London were more expensive than flying to some places in Europe, like Amsterdam, Europe, and Luxembourg. So they actually flew to, I think to Luxembourg or Amsterdam, but then they came to Amsterdam to cross the channel to go to UK, to London. But when they came there, they found that to enter into UK, you have to show a certain amount of money. Not very much, but still they didn't have that kind of money for all six of them to go. So they got all their money together that one couple could go. So they went there, showed that money, and got entry to the UK. And then they wired the money back to Holland for the second couple to go. So in this way, three couples went to London. They didn't know where to stay in London. There were only some Young, some Indians who actually were sympathetic towards them and they were staying with those Indians. Those Indians also those days were not very affluent, not very well to do because they were the emigrants from East Africa. And so they were staying there and trying to preach but nobody was interested to hear about Krishna consciousness. Even though people, those Indians who they're staying with, even they were not interested. <laughs> and they were completely uh, in anxiety what to do now. Then one day they saw a picture or a poster of the Beatles. <clears throat> Those days, Beatles were the most prominent personalities. Like, I think they were the, yeah, at least among the youth, they were the most prominent people. And they saw the Beatles dressed in Indian dress in the picture. And from that, they got the idea that maybe they can preach to the Beatles. Maybe the Beatles will be interested. 
But meeting the Beatles was not easy. Like they were so uh, famous, they were so prominent. So uh, one day, Shamshundar Prabhu meets one of his acquaintances from the West Coast. He was the manager of a very famous music group called Grateful Dead. Maybe they were even before you were born, <laughs> so you are not familiar with those groups. But they were a very famous group at that time, the Grateful Dead. And the manager of the Grateful Dead group was Shamshundra Prabhu's acquaintance, was Rock Scully. So he uh, Rock Scully actually he asked Rock Scully what he was doing there. And Rock Scully said that he came to meet the Beatles. And so he became very interested. He said, can you also introduce me to the Beatles? So Rock Scully said, yes, you can come on such and such day. And Shamshinder goes there dressed in toti and kurta. And the gatekeeper won't let him in huh? because he didn't have an appointment. So he said, without an appointment, I can't let him in. And he tried to convince him, look, my friend Rock Scandy, he's the manager of Grateful Dead. He has an appointment and I am I'm supposed to go and meet the Beatles with him. But this way, the gatekeeper wouldn't allow him and when they were kind of trying to convince them like that. Then the Japanese wife of John Lennon, Yeko Ono, just drives him in a white Rolls Royce. And seeing Shamshuk, the Yeko Ono said, Hey, you must be a friend of John. And he said, Yes, yes. <laughs> so she says, Come on. <laughs> so she just takes him in. He is sitting in the reception waiting for Roxcali. And then in the meantime, George Harrison just happens to come by and come out of his chamber. And he sees Shamshundu Prabhu sitting there dressed in Dhoti and Kurta. I mean, this is the one point, like you can see how important it is to dress in devotee clothes. I mean, if he was not wearing devotee clothes, probably John uh, Yoko Ono wouldn't have noticed him. George Harrison wouldn't have noticed him. Like this is the importance of you know, being dressed as devotee. At least those days. <clears throat> and seeing him, John, George Harrison just comes to him and says, Where have you been all this I saw you all in San Francisco singing and dancing in the streets and since then I've been wanting to meet you. <laughs> and so this is how they made their acquaintance with George Harrison. And George Harrison invites them to come to his house. And they go there, cook up a feast in George Harrison's house and, uh, like, and they become friends. And George Harrison became uh, interested in Krishna consciousness 
And they wrote to Prabhupada that about their success in UK. Prabhupada came there to meet George Harrison. Prabhupada stayed in the house of John Lennon. And it's a big actually told that you know, that house was haunted and Prabhupada drove the ghost out of the house. <laughs> right? <clears throat> All kinds of wonderful things happened. And anyway, this is how Krishna consciousness movement started to get his grounding in the West. And then Prabhupada asked Amal Krishna Maharaj to go there. London. And Krishna Maharaj goes there not only to London, then he goes to France, he goes to Germany and starts the movement there. He was an exceptionally brilliant organizer, extremely capable person. So this is how Krishna consciousness movement started to spread. The early days were so so eventful, so exciting. And that's why the youth were rushing to join this movement. <clears throat> that was probably the most exciting thing, thing happening in the world, especially in the Western world. In one hand, there was this hippie culture. And at the same time, there was this Hare Krishna movement, totally opposite. That culture was based on breaking the regulative principle, and this culture is to establish the regulative principle. So this is how this movement started to grow. And in 10 years' time, we saw the greatest miracle happening in this world. And so many such wonderful stories like that. I mean, not stories, like uh, Upendra Prabhu, who was Prabhupada's servant, and I had a good fortune of working with him together, Srila Prabhupada. Young American, he goes all the way to Fiji to start the movement. He was in Australia, but in Australia it was already happening. So he thought, let me go to some place where nobody went. And he goes to Fiji and starts the movement there. Another young boy, another godbrother of ours, Shudi Prabhu, he was 17 years old, young American. He went to Mayapur festival and he was seeing all these big, big devotees. Hey, they established the movement in so many places. They are the big sannyasis, big GPCs. And he looked at the map and started to look where Iskon didn't go. And he noticed that South Africa, Kenya is for went, but South Africa is going to go. And at that time, South Africa was apartheid. And it was a very difficult place to start something. So he decides, decides to go to South Africa. 
And he goes to Prabhupada and tells Prabhupada that he wanted to go to South Africa to start the movement. Prabhupada was impressed with his enthusiasm and drive. And Prabhupada called one of his sannyasis to accompany him to South Africa. And this is how the movement started in South Africa. That's also another story. They didn't know where to go, where they would stay. But in the flight, they made two Indians, and they are very well-to-do, very prominent Indians from Durban. So they go there, and he invited them, okay, you can come and stay in my place. But South Africa those days didn't allow the mixing, apartheid means no mixing between different classes. There's whites in one area, Indians in another area, blacks are in another area, they are not supposed to intermingle. And they were arrested when they found out that these in Americans, whites are staying with the Indians. The government didn't take it lightly, they arrested them. And <clears throat> so Shruti Prabhu's father had to fly all the way from America to, to take him out of the police custody. Because no Indian could have actually pleaded on his behalf because they are guilty also. And they didn't know any white there to kind of plead on their behalf. So his father had to fly on the way. So this is how with these young boys and girls from the West, this ISKCON movement started to unfold in the Western world. Sister, this history of ISKCON is so glorious and I'm sure that people will relish it more and more as we move away in time. Those days we couldn't even imagine this kind of gathering. Prabhupada often used to lament that everyone is coming, but the Indians are not coming. He told me, everyone is coming, but the Indians are not coming. We are just a handful of Indians. A few of us just joined at that time. And Prabhupada would be so pleased to see so many Indians. But at the same time, Prabhupada will also question, we are in Australia, where are the Australians? So that is what we have to work now. Those days Prabhupada was lamenting, everyone is coming, but the Indian will come. But now we should lament. The Indians are coming, but no one else is coming. <laughs> so, we have to remember that this is the International Society for Krishna Consciousness. That we have to involve everybody, especially the land where we are in. The people from that land must come forward and join us. 
Thank you very much. Hare Krishna. Gold Primate. So it's already 25 past 12. So I'll briefly tell you about the this afternoon program. In afternoon, uh, I was thinking of speaking for one hour and then we will go into different devotees giving their realizations. And so that session probably will go on for about 15 and 45 to 50 minutes and then we'll conclude. So <clears throat> so uh, anyway, we'll meet again and I'm, I feel very impressed to see how everyone is listening with the rapt attention. <laughs> like that's the nice thing about stories or narrating uh, anecdotes. It catches the attention very nicely. Philosophy probably makes one fall asleep. <laughs> but, uh, so let's see, the evening proverb in the afternoon session will continue also about Prabhupada's Prabhupada Katha. Thank you all very much.